This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day 58 of the 60-day legislative session where the House is ready to vote on final passage of a bill to change the way Floridians vote by mail. Last election cycle, Florida administered one of the smoothest elections in the nation and was praised as a model for how elections should be run. The intent of this bill is to continue Florida's successful track record of securing our vote, voter access, and election transparency. Democrats offered 18 amendments to the election bill, not a one of them passed. A bill that allows concealed carry of guns at churches that share space with a school is on its way to the governor. So it just makes me you know, very uncomfortable that we're saying more guns, more guns, more guns, when we have had, is it 60 mass shootings so far this year? So let's just add more guns in a sacred place like a church, a temple, a mosque. A bill exempting presidential search committees at state colleges and universities from the Sunshine Law flames out in the Florida Senate. But if Florida continues recruiting presidents under the open records law, you're not going to get the broadest pool of candidates because sitting presidents are going to be reluctant to apply. The bill had support from most of the lawmakers, but it was one vote short of the two-thirds margin that's required to pass an exemption to the open records law. After being indicted by a statewide grand jury, the superintendent of Broward County Schools says he's going to beat the charge. I am confident that I will be vindicated and I intend to continue to carry out my responsibilities as superintendent with the highest level of integrity and moral standards, as I've done for nearly 10 years. Several hours after that video dropped, Robert Runsey announced he is resigning, but not because of the indictment. Ottercat is back in the legislature, but this time with a fancier name. Representative Rizzo, on the whereabouts of the Jagarundi, you're recognized. <laughs> we'll also have your calendar of events and the story of a Florida woman who says teachers who were vaccinated for COVID-19 cannot work at her school anymore because it messes with the students' menstrual cycles. Spoiler alert, that is a hoax. But first, a word from the sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, April 28th. This is Denim Day, National Blueberry Pie Day, and International Guide Dog Day. On this date in 1965, U.S. Marines invaded the Dominican Republic. They stayed there for more than a year. In 1967, Muhammad Ali was stripped of his boxing title after he refused to be drafted into the Army. And one year ago today, the number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 passed 1 million in America. The death toll of 58,365 surpassed the number of U.S. soldiers who were killed in the Vietnam War. And remember, this was a year ago. 5,271. That's the number of new COVID cases reported by the Florida Department of Health Tuesday. The state also announced 46 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 35,646. More than 5,800,000 Floridians are now fully vaccinated against the virus. Another 2.7 million Floridians have had their first dose and are waiting for the second shot. As time runs down on the 2021 session, state lawmakers are saying thanks to the people who made it possible for them to do their business during a pandemic, including the Department of Health, the state Surgeon General, and the team from Tampa General Hospital that helped create the bubble in the state capitol to protect people. 
but most of the accolades went to Florida's master of disaster. Jared Moskowitz has spent more than two years running the Division of Emergency Management. He is stepping down Friday, but Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith of Orlando says Moskowitz really came through for the people of Florida. The director is known on Twitter as Jared Maskowitz, a reflection of his commitment to public health. He's also a graduate of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High and has spent the past 15 years, pretty much his entire adult life working in public service since he was elected to the Parkland City Commission at age 25. He served as state representative for District 97 as a Democrat here in the House from 2012 to 2019 and was appointed the director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management by Governor Ron DeSantis in January 2019, which in my opinion is the best decision the governor has ever made. Since then, Director Moskowitz helped lead the state's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hurricanes Dorian, Isaias, Laura, and Sally, more than 10 other emergencies, including tropical storms and wildfires. Under his leadership, state government implemented policies to improve the process of providing hurricane recovery funding to cities and counties and he's overseen the distribution of more than $3 billion in recovery funding, the most in the division's history in so short a time. He helped make Florida a national leader in the COVID-19 vaccination rollout. Many of us welcomed him and his staff in our own districts to vaccinate our constituents. He helped execute and staff COVID testing sites and made sure nursing homes got masks and protective equipment when they needed it most. Members, we all know Director Moskowitz has truly played an instrumental role in leading our state through not one, but two of the greatest tragedies to hit Florida in a generation, Parkland and the COVID-19 pandemic. Unfortunately for Florida's 21 million residents, Director Jared Moskowitz is resigning his post effective this Friday, April 30th, 2021, to return home to his wife, kids, and family to begin the next chapter of his illustrious life. We all thank him for his incredible service and sacrifice to benefit the people of this state, House Speaker Chris Sprawl says Director Moskowitz was the right man in the right place at the right time, and he will be missed. I had the privilege to serve in this chamber with with you, Jared, and you had heroic moments on this floor and during your service here, times where we got to work together to do things that we mutually believed in. And when we didn't agree, you made sure that you kept us intellectually honest, which was good for this process. As you left here, we missed you, uh, and you went on to emergency management. You handled us through some significant weather events, and we thought that was going to be the the challenges that you've led us through. Little did we all know what was really coming. Um, But when that came, when the pandemic came, I don't think there was a Republican or a Democrat in this chamber who felt more confident in the person who was leading the Department of Emergency Management. Most lawmakers have now been vaccinated for COVID, and Senator Aaron Bean says it's only a matter of time before the Capitol building can reopen to the public. The press has asked us, aren't you glad? Aren't you happy the public is not in, you know, not in the Capitol? And I have to say this, I get my energy from being around people. 
And so I think most legislators in that same boat, we are very much ready to get back to normal. People belong in the Capitol, and I think we're just very close to opening these doors back so we can conduct the people's business in the sunshine with people uh, yelling at us in committees. How about that? That's, uh, that uh, I miss the good old days of, of that. One programming note here, we'll be joining the Love Fest for Jared Moskowitz on tomorrow's podcast. He's our guest on the Sunrise Interview. A controversial election reform bill that has already passed the Senate is teed up for final passage today in the House. Representative Blaze Angolia, the former chairman of the state Republican Party, is taking the lead on Senate Bill 90. Last election cycle, Florida administered one of the smoothest elections in the nation and was praised as a model for how elections should be run. But we should use every election as an opportunity to look back and identify things that we can do better. The intent of this bill is to continue Florida's successful track record of securing our vote, voter access, and election transparency. The goal is simple. Expand access to the polls while adding common sense security measures to keep our elections safe and secure. Democrats spent several hours Tuesday trying to stall the bill. Representative Robin Bartleman of Weston says it really makes no sense. We had a successful election here in Florida. We were the model for the country. The sponsor of this bill refers to these changes as guardrails. I refer to these changes as hurdles or barriers for people to deliver their vote. And I feel it does nothing to secure the safety and the sanctity of this election. Democrats also offered a bevy of amendments. My favorite was Anna Eskimani's proposal to make Election Day a holiday. Even Angolia seemed amused by the amendment he opposed. So Ronald Reagan once said uh, the scariest words are, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. I think the second scariest words are, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you vote. Representative Eskimani, you recognize close. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm here from the government and I'm here to help you party on Election Day by... <laughs> By making this by making this a holiday so that you don't have to worry about all the obstacles in your way on election day. But seriously, members, this is a really good amendment. It 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 just helps make sure that even schools can be used as polling locations because kids won't be at school. When the day was done, all 18 of the Democratic amendments had been rejected. The bill's ready for final passage now. A bill that would allow people with concealed carry permits to bring guns to churches that share properties with schools has cleared both chambers of the legislature and is on its way to the governor. State law already allows concealed weapons at religious institutions, but it prohibits guns on school properties, which means people cannot bring their guns to a church that has a school on the same grounds. Senator Joe Gruders of Sarasota calls it a loophole. His bill will close it. What this bill does is right now, if you have a religious institution without a school on the property, Concealed permit holders are allowed to carry right now without any issue unless there's a sign on the door that says, like any other private property owner, no guns, weapons allowed on their property. This bill allows for a religious institution, if there is a school on the property, allows you then to be able to carry, but it's still up to, to the religious institution. It's not up to the individual. The religious institution can still determine time, place, where, when, how, who. They get to create the policy. This gives options to people. This is about safety. We saw what happened in Texas when a church, unfortunately, was the target. Six seconds it took them to, to secure that location. This gives schools the needed safety they need. It gives churches the additional security that they need. This gives uh, the, 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 the property owners the ultimate responsibility to make the decision that's best for them. 
Democrats don't like the bill. Senator Tina Polsky of Miami-Dade says more guns in churches will not make this a safer state. There's a fundamental difference that I believe we have here is that I believe, and I think many of my colleagues, that more guns don't make us safer. More guns make us less safe. Um, there was an FBI study of 160 active shooter incidents from 2000 to 2013, and they found that only one was stopped by an armed individual with a concealed weapons permit. In contrast, 21 incidents were stopped by unarmed citizens. So it just makes me, us, you know, very uncomfortable that we're saying more guns, more guns, more guns, when we have had, is it 60 mass shootings so far this year? So let's just add more guns in a sacred place like a church, a temple, a mosque. I believe there are other ways to make those institutions safe. And we all know basically nowhere is safe. And that's because there's just too many guns in America. That's the difference between us and other countries. We have just as much mental illness as other countries. We have just as many probably violent people. But what do we have more than anyone else by tenfold, I think? Guns. So let's not add more guns to our society. And Senator Gary Farmer of Broward County says there's no action hero waiting to save the day in the pews. We've got a gun obsession in this country. Uh, we've got a gun problem. We dwarf the rest of the world combined in the number of mass shootings and killings. If you look at the number of mass shootings this year alone, it's staggering. And, uh, you know, it has just never been proven that this concept that gun-free zones result in greater death is true. It, it's, it's a fallacy. <laughs> Dirty Harry, uh, Rambo, John McClane aren't going to be rising up in a church and taking out the bad guy. When you got more guns, you've got more danger. Period. These are religious institutions. They're supposed to be peaceful places of worship. Why anybody would bring a gun to a church is beyond me. But despite that, and regardless of that, the churches themselves should have the ability to make these decisions on their own. We should not be making this decision. We should not be making this mandate that everybody gets to carry a gun in a church. Something's going to go wrong and people are going to die. The Guns in Churches bill passed on a party-line vote and is on its way to the governor. A bill that would have poked a new hole in the public records law for people who apply for a job of university or college president in Florida has been defeated. The sponsor, Senator Ray Rodriguez of Lee County, says we are not getting the best applicants under the current system. Florida's public records law depresses the number of candidates for president at a university here in the state of Florida. When you put your name out there and your employers know you're looking, it becomes an issue if you don't get the job. But if Florida continues recruiting presidents under the open records law, you're not going to get the broadest pool of candidates because sitting presidents are going to be reluctant to apply. If you want the best candidates, you've got to have an application process that yields the best candidates, and this is what will do it. But Senator Victor Torres of Kissimmee says the current system works just fine and there's no need for more secrecy. There's no evidence of a public necessity for the exemptions from public records and public meetings for presidential searches of Florida's institution of higher learning. And proponents of this bill have not provided evidence that there is a problem or that the bill will fix it. 
Open meetings and public records are a benefit for Florida citizens and taxpayers, and this bill will reduce the transparency and accountability. The closed meetings and exempt records will take away protections that benefit the search process and will actually create the problem that this bill supposedly is trying to fix. Senator Jeff Brandis of St. Petersburg says colleges and universities are already picking presidents in secret by using headhunting firms to vet the candidates. So he believes the public records exemption will actually increase transparency. If you're looking for transparency, why not have a cooling off period? Why not have a 21 day review, which is what this bill offers? If we're looking for diversity, why not look to have the broadest pool of applicants you can possibly get? That's what this bill does. All we're doing, all we're doing, and it only applies to presidents, is to say that if you're, if, if you're at another university and you want to apply for the state of Florida, to, to be a president of the state of Florida, that just until those top candidates are presented, is that record hidden. Once we've gone to that final selection group, then we have a 21-day period where the faculty senate can meet with them, where other outside groups, where the public can meet with them. Senators, this is a completely reasonable bill that accomplishes two things. One, it gets Florida universities the broadest pool of applicants that we can find. And two, it provides a reasonable period of time for transparency. But Senator Gary Farmer of Broward says there's nothing like sunshine to keep things honest. Florida's colleges and universities have thrived under the leadership of presidents selected in the sunshine. This is not a matter of luck or chance. These positions require the highest level of leadership, experience, discernment, and financial responsibility. Presidents and institutions benefit from a leader thoroughly vetted and willing to face public scrutiny, who is accountable to the community. Headhunters already influence the applicant pool. Secrecy will, will allow headhunters to control the entire application process in the dark. The final vote was 25 to 14. Normally, that's more than enough to pass, but it takes a two-thirds margin to approve an exemption to the public records law, so the bill actually failed by a single vote. A bill to close a loophole in the sex offender law clears the legislature and is headed for the gov. Senator Lauren Book of Broward sponsored the bill after learning about the case of a Florida man who discovered he could avoid being listed on the sex offender registry by simply refusing to pay his fine. But to get her bill to the governor, she had to agree to an amendment from the House that removed some language requested by the Department of Law Enforcement. This good bill was developed in direct response to an appellate court opinion, which allows a person otherwise required to register as a sex, sex offender to forego registration by refusing to pay any uh, court-appointed uh, fines. After serving for 15 years in prison for sexually abusing two very young girls, a Tampa area sexual predator avoided registration by failing to pay a $10,000 fine. The amendment retains the Senate intent language, which will prevent others from doing what this predator has done, clarifying that a person's failure to pay a fine does not relieve that person of their requirement to register as a sex offender. The amendment does, however, remove provisions added by our chamber at the request of FDLE, which would have clarified or changed several community control measures applied to sexual offenders and predators in Florida. Though I and we felt these provisions were positive and important, they are not critical to fixing um, the egregious legal loophole um, I just described, which puts public safety in imminent risk. With the original intent of the bill intact, and because I know we all believe that this is an imperative bill that we pass, I'm asking for your favorable support in concurring with the House amendment. 
Book's bill was inspired by the case of Ray Lavelle James of Tampa, who was sentenced to 15 years in prison and ordered to pay a $10,000 fine for molesting two young girls at a community pool. But the new law cannot be applied to him retroactively, and he's still not listed on the sex offender registry because he never paid the fine. The embattled superintendent of Broward County Schools has released a video statement saying he will be vindicated, this after his indictment on a perjury charge by the statewide grand jury. Robert Runcie also repeated the claims made by his attorney that the indictment was politically motivated. I want to thank the individuals and organizations that have voiced their support and trust for me after last week's indictment. Elected officials, business leaders, community and nonprofit organizations, and religious leaders. Black and brown, white, Hispanic, Creole, Portuguese, Muslim, and Asian communities, not only locally, but across the state and the country, have reached out to offer support and express their concern. I thank you all from the bottom of my heart. Last week, after two days and many hours of testifying to the grand jury, I received an indictment. It accuses me of making a false statement. My attorneys released a statement publicly last week that included the following. It's a sad day in Broward County and across Florida when politics become more important than the interests of our students. Superintendent Runcie has fully cooperated with law enforcement through this statewide grand jury process. I am confident that I will be vindicated and I intend to continue to carry out my responsibilities as superintendent with the highest level of integrity and moral standards, as I've done for nearly 10 years. I look forward to due process being followed, where individuals are treated fairly through the normal judicial system. I will continue to be transparent with the board, with all of Broward County Public Schools parents, and with the entire community. I want to share some personal thoughts with our Broward County Public Schools families, teachers, staff, community, and our students. Our district is going through a difficult time right now. It is how we cope during these difficult times that shows our true character and makes us stronger. The most positive action that any of us can take now is to focus on our core mission of giving our students the best possible educational experience to prepare them for a successful future and to instill in them the confidence to stand up for what is right. I thank each of you for your dedication to education and for continuing to do the important work of Broward County Public Schools. To all of our students, staff, and community, I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you. Last night, Runcie told the Broward School Board he will resign, but not because of the indictment from the grand jury. Runcie says he's leaving because of the continued blame he's received for events leading up to the 2018 mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Ottercat returns to the House floor, but it's using a different name. Over the past week, several rookie lawmakers have been hazed by the veterans who asked them to opine on the existence of a critter with the face of a cat and the body of an otter. Lawmakers were at it again Tuesday on the House floor, and Representative Alex Rizzo of Hialeah was the target, but this time they used Ottercat's alias, the Jagarundi. Members, this bill requires every school district to offer either an SAT or an ACT to every student in the 11th grade during a school day. Are there questions of the sponsor? Representative Duran, you recognized. Representative, I was just curious. I saw something in the hallway. The Jaguarundi, I don't know if this is going to be in the, the curriculum or does it have anything to do with your bill? 
Representative Rizzo on the whereabouts of the Jagarundi. You're recognized. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Representative Duran, thank you for pouncing on that question the way you did. Um, Members, are there, are there questions? Are there questions? Are there questions of the sponsor? I will save him. Are there questions of the sponsor? <laughs> Representative Lamarca. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just trying to stay awake here. Uh, Representative. Will we have time tomorrow to scratch the surface, or is today the day to ask these questions? Representative Rizzo, you're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Representative Lamarca, sink your teeth and claws into anything you wish uh, regarding this bill. Please ask away. Whether you call it the Jagarundi or the Autocat, that critter should probably be recognized as the official mascot of the 2021 Florida legislature. Your calendar of events, the Senate Democratic Caucus meets at 9. Aides to the governor, the attorney general, the agriculture commissioner, and the chief financial officer meet at 9. They'll talk about issues for next week's cabinet meeting. The Florida Commission on Offender Review meets at 9. The Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30. Florida DOT holds an online meeting at 10 about electric vehicle infrastructure along the highway system. The Senate holds a floor session at 10, and the House holds a floor session at 10.30. Finally today, a Florida woman who founded a private school in Miami is under fire after telling teachers they cannot be around students if they've been vaccinated because it could affect the girls' menstrual cycles. The New York Times reports that Leela Sentner of the Sentner Academy is an anti-vaxxer who sent a letter to staff last week saying teachers who were vaccinated would not be able to come back to school until clinical trials for the vaccines are complete. There have been many posts on social media claiming there is a link between vaccines and periods, but the medical community has dismissed it as misinformation and a hoax. The school also posted a bulletin on its website entitled Medical Freedom from Mandated Vaccines. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.